Hello, and welcome to Dark Markets, a podcast about the frontiers, fringes, and frauds of finance and technology. I'm your host, David Z. Morris. I've been reporting about tech and finance since 2013, covering everything from transportation and vaccine development to artificial intelligence and cryptocurrency. Before becoming a reporter, I was a sociologist and historian of technology, a background that has helped me spot major trends like electric vehicles and Bitcoin before they took over the world. Most recently, I was lead columnist for Coindesk, where I was part of the team that helped expose Sam Bankman-Fried and the FTX fraud. I also created the documentary podcast Crypto Crooks. My first ever guest on Dark Markets was one of FTX's biggest individual victims and is now a leader of the legal crusade against celebrities and venture capitalists who sought to profit from that fraud. Sunil Kavuri is a longtime pedigreed finance professional who spent time at Deutsche Bank and JP Morgan after earning his bachelor's at the London School of Economics and a master's in finance from Cambridge. Sunil became interested in crypto back in 2016, but his skepticism of offshore exchanges made him very careful to self-custody most of his funds, until all those big-name endorsements led him to trust FTX. Sunil ultimately lost more than $2 million worth of deposits when FTX collapsed. Now, he's one of the lead plaintiffs in a collection of class-action lawsuits targeting influencers, investors, and other players who enabled and profited from Sam Bankman-Fried's theft of customer funds. He hopes those lawsuits will be a major factor in recovering his and other victims' lost funds. He remains a very important resource for FTX victims watching the recovery process, and you can follow him on Twitter at at Sunil underscore trades. That's S-U-N-I-L underscore T-R-A-D-E-S. I first recorded with Sunil back in September before the Bankman-Fried trial when we discussed the strange complicity of Bankman-Fried's Stanford professor parents in his crimes, the impact of FTX on crypto investors like Sunil, and what he says might have been knowing complicity by venture capitalists in perpetuating the fraud. Then we reconnected after Bankman-Fried's trial and conviction on criminal charges. We talked about what it was like for Sunil watching the trial as a victim, his expectations for recovery now, and his very interesting plan for relaunching FTX under the control of its former users. This is our first episode, and I appreciate your patience as we figure a few things out. The sound for this first episode is inconsistent, the music is temporary, and I make one very embarrassing mistake. In the second half of the episode, I mispronounce Sunil's very simple name. It is Sunil Kavuri, not Sunil Kuvari. Many apologies to Sunil for the mistake, which he was too polite to call me out on on the air. We have much, much more to come, including a second episode with another major FTX figure coming soon. So please welcome the very first guest to Dark Markets, Sunil Kavuri. And it's interesting you referred to the fact that these influencers, you know, it wasn't just one, it was a, a sort of network and the VCs were also part of it. Um, and we had on uh, Monday, we're recording this on Tuesday, September 20th. Um, so on Monday, we had a lawsuit drop targeting specifically Sam Bankman-Fried's parents. And um, what 
you know, it was pretty amazing. It seems like they were maybe more deeply involved um, and had more influence than I think maybe anybody quite realized. What was your reaction to to that lawsuit in terms of, you know, just everybody seemed to have a hand in this? Yeah. Oh, my God. I To be honest, I, I couldn't have imagined how... Or how disgusting the details were, mm. should I say? Because um, in my view, personally, um, and I've always maintained this, such a huge fraud requires a lot of moving parts and yep. a lot of facilitators in order to execute. You can't have just one guy, two guys, or three guys in in the management allows you know in order to for it to occur. Mm. However. After the details came out regarding this lawsuit, I'm I'm astounded how 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 much greed and how much yeah, obvious greed and mm-hmm. how much um, how much they actually knew and all and to some extent help um, orchestrated it. It it seemed yeah, like and it. and I mean not even just to some extent. I mean it 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 almost seems like this could not have happened if Joseph Bankman, Sam's father, had not been directly involved in some of the money movement and donations to Stanford and things like that. Uh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, right from the beginning, well, wasn't it the loss? He was defined as a, the founding father of mm. FTX and, and he was um, ever present at the FTX offices. Mm-hmm. He was the go between for the employees, but when the lawsuit dropped and reading it to, to the extent he was involved and created the structures um um, you know um in order to um facilitate the the movement of money from you know and he he obviously is a tax lawyer he knew no he knew Mm -hmm. what he was doing i mean it's not um not like that he was didn't know however i guess to some extent the what what was particularly interesting was how much um with the lawsuit it showed that they they themselves um, directly benefited and actually right. wanted to benefit. So I think that was the key, key thing which really stuck out for me. It was the obvious greed. I mean, obviously we knew or we believe like you you did as well. And I personally believed that these um, the, uh, the, um, the parents that, um, were involved with facilitating and creating the structures, they their philosophy, mm-hmm. but to extent of them actually pushing SBF in order to, for them to directly financially benefit, right. that w- was astounding. That yeah, really and, was astounding. and specifically, you know, we had heard about this $10 million cash gift that uh, by, by some reports is actually what's funding the legal defense now, but we didn't have all the details, which apparently like the precursor to this big gift was Joseph Bankman demanding a $1 million a year salary. And then instead (laughs) of that, they just gave him a $10 million lump sum. And I mean, stop me if I'm wrong here. And, and I don't know how deeply you've read into this particular aspect, but I could not make, heads or tails of there being any even remotely defensible reason for this $10 million gift directly to his parents. I mean, we're leaving out the $20 million house, um, but, you know, he just sent them $10 million in cash. Joseph Bankman did some kind of structuring that seemed to be aimed at not paying taxes on it, but there was no, like, possible rationale for why this happened. Like, what was the reason? (laughs) 
Well, Other than embezzlement, it was just naked embezzlement. Yeah. Naked, exactly. Just and for um, it's just total embezzlement. It's like because the the thing is, um, we go back. Let's say we go back to the sixteen million dollar house. They were um, before the lawsuit dropped. They they were kind of defending it to some extent. They're saying mm-hmm. not 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 def- to some extent. They were defending it and saying, oh, you know. Uh, we were just put on the names. We're trying to give that property back. Mm-hmm. We didn't know about it. It was never supposed it. to be it ours. Was, yeah, yeah, it was never supposed to be ours, blah, blah, blah. But then the lawsuit dropped and it showed how greedy um, um, his father is, Joe Bankman. He Basically, he was given a $200,000 salary, which like you mentioned on your thread, which obviously I, like professors, how many professors get paid? $200,000 a year. I mean, uh, you know, yeah, lots of many. people would be happy with that. Not many, right? And then he said, oh, you know, I want, you know, $1 million a year and I'm going to put on my wife. It's like, right. come he on. He emailed on Sam saying, I yeah. I thought this was going to be a million. <laughs> I'm going to copy your mother? I'm going to email yeah. your mother. <laughs> exactly. To, to, um, yeah, it's wild. Pressure and, that... I mean, the thing about the house, too, is that, um, A, it's $16 million, but it was actually $19 million once you add in the taxes. Yeah. And yeah. then the other incredible part of this suit is that it has information about Barbara Freed, the mother, getting FTX people not just to pay for, like, they paid for furnishing the house and, in fact, actually ordered the stuff for the house at her request. <laughs> so, like, she was just using FTX staff to furnish this Bahamas house that FTX had paid for. So also greed from the yeah. mother's side. That was exactly. Amazing. Oh, it's amazing! It's amazing the the, the details because they were uh, uh, portraying themselves as innocent bystanders, yeah. but they 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 actually pushed him to f- directly um, financially benefit, yeah. and that was the one main thing that really stuck out at me because I knew they were involved. I thought, you know, okay, fine, you children you have a son who um any parents would try to some extent you know um you know pay for the law law fees and help their son Mm -hmm. but i mean this they actually profited and actually it's actually it's incredible because you know even the donations and that's really going to um get into a a, get her into a big problem Mm -hmm. um the the political stuff yeah. Political stuff. Wow. I mean, Nishad has admitted that he knew that the money was coming from customer funds mm-hmm. via Alameda. And obviously, Barbara Freed knew because, I mean, why would Nishad know? She didn't just she know. She, she proposed she, the idea, it seems. Yeah, proposed the idea. Exactly. And then not disclose and circumvent the rules of the US. It's um, yeah. government. I mean, it's uh, it's a crime, right? So... It, right. I, I think it's uh, really going to blow up, really going to blow up. And I, I think, and it, it really um, remains to be seen whether Sam becomes the person who takes the fall for all of this. But I mean, I'm seeing people and it seems credible that there's a conspiracy case here. I mean, we have uh, in the U.S., we have RICO laws, which are basically intended for organized crime. And that yeah. might come into play here. Um, yes. But I wanted to ask you sort of on a more um, personal level, because, you know, I don't mean to assume anything about you, but you went to Cambridge and you worked in finance. So I can, I would guess you've had contact with, let's say, similar families, I would say, people who are, you know, in the elite. And I'm, I'm curious whether any of this scans in a particular way for you in that context in terms of, 
I mean, it seems like a very unusual relationship between these parents and their child on many levels. Yes, exactly. But um, I do, yeah, like you mentioned, what's interesting, yeah, the, even my boarding school, you do have sometimes some, um, the head figure, the family head figure, and they have a basically controlling say about, right. you know, what goes on in the family. Perhaps the head, the, the, the father has made, you know, significant money and, um, and they have say over, you know, the spending of the money or so mm-hmm. they have control of the kids and the grandkids or where they go to school. Um, this, yeah, this really, um, but I think this, this is obviously most um, elite, they generally, you know, control, have a say over their own money. <laughs> right. I mean, so I think going... You're um, saying because you know, the parents is, were not the ones yeah. with the money, he was, right? Yeah, and exactly. It was like a yeah, weird exactly. Right. It's just with, yeah, when birth, and then the parents were actually taking money from others which is our money actually so well, yeah. it's kind of inverse um so we but there, there is certainly that stood out that you know they they were you know you know really the controlling influence over him i mean do you believe that they were criminally criminally implicated in in what was going on i i personally believe that they're, they're criminal yeah for sure this lawsuit would drop I believe they're criminally um, um, implicated for sure. Mm. Um, I, I believe there is evidence to suggest. Um, I and I, yeah. I mean, they, they, it was they they're using FTX as a family um, yeah. piggyback. They were, I think the aunties were involved. Um, you know, his brother, right? Gabe and they was, paid his like... aunt, or I don't know if it was. There might be something else going on, but Bankman, the father's sister, got paid $14,000 a month to run a hackathon um, in Miami, um, which is is pretty crazy. I I think the details which came out, there was always... um, I think the difference for me is that, yes, I thought... I always believed they knew, but them... Um, directly pushing to financially benefit from mm-hmm. the fraud. I think mm-hmm. that's what stuck out at me right. from the 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 lawsuit itself because it, it was basically proof that they actually wanted to financially benefit from it, and they knew that. Yeah. The, and I think that that makes them, I guess, essentially. And there's uh, also just something yeah. so sad on a personal level about these these messages where dad is like demanding more money from his son, and and it really seems like. I mean, I don't want to project too hard or assume too much, but there really seems like a lack of love implicit in that, like, set of exchanges. It's it's pretty bleak. Yeah. It's really sad. It's really sad. I, I, I yeah, I mean, I look back and I, I remember, like, my mother, I mean, it's particularly my mother, she would have done anything for me. I mean, she would have given her mm. whole salary for, I mean, this is, I guess it's Asian, yeah. Indian culture, Asian culture. She... They sacrifice so much just for education, my education, mm-hmm. my living. She she would have done anything. And in this exchange is the opposite. That like he's actually demanding. I've never in my life my mother would has ever demanded anything. I mean, she's passed away yeah. now, but mm, I mean yeah. it was just quite right. opposite. Uh, so it's really sad. I I hundred percent agree with you. That is very very yeah. sad from the exchanges which went on. And the last thing about the parents, and I don't know if you have any special insight here, but it, it it's 
obviously striking. Um, you know, Joseph Bankman was a tax professor, and and Barbara Freed was supposedly a, an ethics expert, <laughs> an expert on business ethics. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, what how, what how do you make sense of any of this? Like, what what is going on when? Like these Stanford business ethicists are actively engaged in like the biggest fraud since Bernie Madoff. Does that, <laughs> exactly. I mean, is there anything yeah, to take away from that other than the world? Yeah, I know, absolutely. I, the, the, so I, I don't know, there, there must be another few Sam Bangman Freeds coming from Stanford, right? So I don't know who they taught, but. I mean, we I already mean, had Do Kwan, also Stanford yeah. affiliated. Oh right, right, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it it doesn't it doesn't sound good, and uh, I mean, I think obviously her whole philosophy was that wasn't it something like that they um to be um was it um lenient on lawbreakers wasn't her that was her kind yeah. of philosophy or something or I, I mean my my reading was yeah. that she was not a big believer fundamentally in like free will and believed that um, it was sort of a collective process of getting people to follow the rules and something to the effect that like people who broke the rules, yeah, weren't really responsible on some level. Um, I mean, this is back in 2013. She was writing papers to that effect. And it's so there's a whole other set of conversations to be had about, I guess, like, um, consequentialism and uh the effective altruism angle um so yeah the the kind of like we're seeing philosophy really the rubber hit the road i guess so i want to go back to your your crypto journey as well which is you know you're a a former finance professional or are you still in that realm or yeah so um yeah i'm in that role um probably in a investment perspective as well as um, mm-hmm. I run a business which um, with a few partners we're involved in corporate finance we're involved in um, mm. yeah um, infrastructure renewable energy development um, but not on I will, I'm not in a role in per se like being on the trading floor so it's it's finance right. related but not directly yeah but you have pretty floor. serious finance experience and exposure and and in 20 20- 16 you said you you started getting interested in crypto so i'm just curious kind of coming from that perspective and i know a lot of people who have come from from traditional finance high up roles and and gotten interested in crypto so i mean what is your i mean basic thesis around having invested and invested so much money in in crypto yeah so so i think that yeah my um journey started obviously um i I've I've invested in different types of asset classes from equities to commodities um, um, and emerging markets and um, what I, for, I mean, when I was looking at the commodities and the relationship between commodities and the mon- money supply um, over since I, I guess around that time or a bit earlier the, the mm. relationship had broken down um, mm. to some extent gold prices and silver prices weren't moving up relative to the money supply so i started looking at different asset classes which could more um, readily reflect um different um changes in the money supply and inflation Mm -hmm. and that's when i came across bitcoin um i actually came start was thinking about investing in it um actually it was 2015 um um, but after I, i just felt the security and the exchanges wasn't there 
and I mm-hmm. really, I I actually decided in 2016 to invest. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because people will talk about from basically 2020 to 2023 that kind of inflation hedge thesis hasn't really played out over that term, but but over the term that you were investing, it certainly seems to have. Yes, exactly, exactly, and I I think the um it did it did for sure um particularly off from 2016 and upwards it, it, it did well I, th- I think it, it's difficult because I, I think over the long term um and that's how I look at things over long term you can see a correlation in short term there are other factors which come into play um, and mm-hmm. obviously markets are generally forward-looking so even though um you know, but um, there's a correlation between um, Bitcoin and tech. So it, it, mm. it gets a little bit more complicated in the stock market. But yes, yeah, certainly it did work out from 2016 as an um, inflation hedge. And certainly more so than gold, um, mm-hmm. because that you have to look at relatively um, um, what other inflation hedges are there. So people will argue, say, okay, it's not an inflation hedge. Look, Inflation's high, but Bitcoin is going down and has it's more correlated with the stock market. Yeah, that's it's it's mm. true, but and but that's more because of the forward-looking nature. But when you look at gold, it's literally not moving, and that's that's mm. viewed as a inflation hedge. And I think yeah. Bitcoin itself is a better version of gold um, because there's no storage costs. Um, it's perfectly mm. divisible, fungible. So I think a portable. So for me, it was a better way of playing this. Um, yeah, on the sort of fundamentals level, although obviously you yeah. have run into some technical uh, problems, yeah. maybe. Yeah. So I, 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 but I want to walk through that. You know, when you first started, um, I mean, maybe talk about what was happening before FTX, but then how did you kind of become aware of FTX and become convinced that that you should use it? Yeah. So so I think that 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 that's why. It, this is such a, and um, that's why the lawsuits are quite important. And I think the play, the uh, the defendants or the, all the people who, mm-hmm. who perpetrate this fraud is it's it's important to hold them liable. Because for me personally, um, because I come from a finance background, I um, you know I was um, you know FSA regulated. I always was suspicious of the F, um, the crypto industry, not as an asset class, but more of the players involved. And exchanges because it's it wasn't it's not a regulated um, industry, so I always kept you know uh, my funds in cold storage. Um, I would you know be quite um, particular about s- security. So I think um, even when I was trading on Binance, I would keep very minimal on mm. exchanges um, generally. However, I think that what was the difference with FTX was that the traditional finance industry investors invested in FTX and they gave yeah. FTX the stamp of approval. And endorsed it. for me, it, that yeah. was a... Yeah, endorsed it, exactly. Um, I mean, you have like Sequoia, Paradigm, you know, Tiger, Global, SoftBank, all the even Temasek after doing eight months of due diligence. It, it was incredible. It was like basically uh, mm. institu- institutionalized... Um, crypto and FTX in particular. So that's why I felt, okay, you know, FTX must be safe, right? It's, you know, I can't be like, 
it's it's changed for me. It, it's literally mm. changed. It yeah. wasn't. It was no longer, you know, trading on. So not only did they convince you to offline. use FTX, but they convinced you to go from cold yes. storage to keeping your balance on the exchange. Exactly. Yeah. Wild. Yeah. Yes, it wild. Exactly. That's definitely for me. That's why I'm. You know, it's it's because I yeah, because I I respect their investment. I respect. I thought okay, obviously they're gonna have a board of directors. They're gonna be like you know they're you know Sequoia is like the best one of the best VCs or well best well known VCs anyway. I think that's like you said. Um, it convinced me not only to use FTX but convinced me to keep a significant portion of my assets on FTX. And. and- you know, you mentioned the Temasek due diligence. Everybody said they did due diligence. I think Kevin O'Leary specifically said he did due diligence, but then later on admitted that his due diligence was the things other people had said. I, I believe something to that effect yeah. was yes, exactly. what came out. Um, Correct. So what is yeah. your take on like the state of venture capital if you have all of, like broadly speaking, if you have all of these people just piling in on something and and even I mean Sequoia seems like pretty far out there to be the worst because they wrote this entire glowing profile that then like became the foundation for other people's investment. So yeah, like what's your take on venture capital? Like why did this part of the process break down so badly? Yeah, I mean I personally can't. In my view, I can't. I cannot believe that they did not know about the fraud. I just for me, I I just cannot believe it for personally. Um, but you know, if, if there's individuals who knew about it, potentially they turned a blind eye because they wanted their bonuses Mm -hmm. and they wanted like, you know, they wanted the IPO, they walk away with their huge bonuses and they can say goodbye. They don't care mate. So potentially individuals try to Mm -hmm. cover it up. But from my point of view, I, I know the, the amount of due diligence or, or certain red flags which go off. I mean, for, um, and people are asked, okay, how did you not... The, the, the key thing is for me is that, okay, a lot of people may say, okay, I knew FTX was a fraud before. No, actually, mm-hmm. for, personally, for me, you have to see the financial statements. You have to see a generally um, confidential information about the running mm-hmm. of a business as well as operational controls. And that's why, which makes them liable because after mm-hmm. seeing that then i would know um for example and the vcs uh, had access to these yeah, exactly literally they had access about. so the, the they only had ones, access really. the only ones exactly the only ones who had access to these documents so for me like the simple thing is like okay they know ftx is making 300 to 400 million dollars a year right however sam bankman frieds spends $5 billion on yes, VC yes, deals. Exactly. It's like, <laughs> that's it. Come on. I mean, that is the same. And also asterisk, me. it turns it's, out they're not making $400 million a yeah, year anyway. Yeah, exactly. They're not, exactly. They're not even making that. It's like, the thing is, VCs would have the financial statements. They would know. It's like, even yeah. like, for example, um, yeah, anyone like, uh, uh, you know, let's say, yeah, Sam Bankman-Fried's parents they're earning $200,000 at their university. They buy a $20 million house. Anyone's going to say, where did you get the money from, right? It's like, <laughs> right. It's, it, 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 it's just, it's not brain surgery. 
So for me, that mm-hmm. is the biggest thing. However, if you go into it, then there's the all Sam Bankman-Fried's um, history work experience, you know, his Alameda, you know, treachery mm-hmm. and, you know, um, which they would have known. And some stuff that we genuinely religion. didn't find out about until later, but yes, that but some people we knew. didn't. Yes, exactly. Exactly. That's the thing. Like, but uh, yes, we didn't know. And that's why I, I'm not in the vein of, okay, um, you know, this is such a f- easily identifiable and identifiable fraud from the yeah. outset. But people who had the confidential information, who had, like, um, did DD as a VC would do, mm-hmm. they would have the information. It's not available for, like, every Tom, Dick and Harry or anyone actually. Right. No one knew about it. But the if you're investing in a company and putting in like $400 million then or $800 million, whatever, yeah, they, they speak to their employees. And actually, funny enough, one of the guys, was it um, Sina Global? I think I, he, one of their due diligence, he, he was talking about Da Kwan, uh, Do Kwan. Right. And I don't know if you saw that. And basically no, he so. said... Yeah, that interview, I think it was, in fact, it's a good one. It was actually with Coindesk. Actually, I I think you guys did it. And basically, he was talking about why he passed on the investment with Dao Kwan. And he said it was, um, as I remember correctly, but one of the important ones is character Mm. and character references. And they ask around and he he was a hard uh, fail. So... If they do the, and a lot of them, they say they do due diligence, even when you go for an interview, you know, they ask for references and they, 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 uh, you know, I, I, I think I went through like, God knows, like six, seven rounds at Morgan Stanley when I, mm. when I got a job at Morgan Stanley. And that's just and for how, a job. How, yeah, just for a job. Yeah. It was like a, yeah, just for a job, let alone raising like, you know, $900 million. Right. Yeah. So, so I, I, I personally, I cannot believe that these red flags didn't come up with the with the confidential information which was available. Especially since you mentioned interviewing employees and, you know, Time Magazine not that long ago finally got around to interviewing a bunch of early Alameda employees and found, like, terrible stuff having to do with Sam's character that was out in, in 2018. Um, but, you know, by whatever means of deception, he managed to present this this appearance of being uh and i mean the parents too managed to present this appearance of being highly ethical so i mean i think it's fair and you know dispute this if you want to but i mean i do think it's fair that the general impression in crypto was that ftx was like the good actor um and so when did you sort of start having real questions about ftx and and your money Right, yeah. So, so certainly, I think when they stop withdrawals, because that was the, the, <laughs> the yeah. <laughs> I think that's that's essentially when I I thought, you know, shit, I've lost everything. What's going on here? Mm. Because the reason there was the CoinDesk article which focused on the Alameda balance sheet. Now, I know mm-hmm. from my personal this is in back, November uh, experience. Of Exactly, November twenty-two, second of November or so, and then um, and mm-hmm. I think um, the yeah, people the, there were a lot of big bank runs, and and then obviously you have the influencers saying there's nothing going on, it's it's safest thing. But um, for me, mm-hmm. I I look at logically, I know uh, like Deutsche Bank, J.P. Morgan, 
they, we all had prop desks and you have internal prop desks like sitting right next to me at Deutsche Bank, maybe a few rows, and they mm -hmm. play with the house's money. Right. And then they, there's a, there's a um, you know, Chinese wall. You can't like, you don't co-mingle customer assets. This is what happens right. at banks. This regularly, you don't just go, you know, that obviously it's regulated SE, but I grew, I came from a background that, you know, this is, this, um, you don't co-mingle customer assets. This is just a given. Yeah, yeah. You, so I assume that, okay, if the hedge fund was going to lose money, then you'll shut it down, right? You have a functioning business. You have a, a you know, FTX is an exchange where it's basically free money. It's a cash cow. You know, people trade, you yeah. make commissions, yeah. that's it, right? It's like, I mean, what? I how difficult you got, you, you know? So so I uh, I would say, Maybe, unfortunately, my because of my background being in finance as well as knowing that the VCs you figured invested it was in it. I, yeah, exactly. I, I just thought, obviously, why, why, you know, the VCs, you know, you have like, God, like the, probably the, the 10 top VCs, you know, investing in it, would uh, overseeing it. Why would you suspect anything otherwise? I, to be honest, if it was something like Binance or any of the other exchanges which didn't have institutional backing, it didn't have like, you know, all the promoters, then obviously, I literally, I know for a fact, 100% with it, any whiff of, of mm. um, you know, um, impropriety, I immediately take everything off their exchange. Literally, yeah. even like if they talk about buying, they talk about anything, I take money off their exchange. FTX, I thought, okay, mm. it's, it's like interactive brokers, right? It's the, it's, yeah. for me, it was like just an exchange. So that's why I'm really, you know, I, I think that people had, a lot of people had the same kind mm. of um, experience as me. But you bring up a very interesting point, which is that at least in theory, FTX in and of itself could have been like a viable business. Obviously, Binance makes a ton of money. Um, and, uh, like seems to be continuing to make a decent amount of money, even when under like very serious investigative threats right now. <laughs> um, but I, I, I guess maybe we can start moving to talk about kind of your theory of the case overall, because yeah, they basically destroyed this thing that actually had some pretty significant real value looking forward. And I guess it, 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 forces one to ask, you know, was this somehow the plan all along or was there some kind of breakdown or did, was it Sam failed to control all the people trying to take money out? Um, or was it, I mean, I guess I can just ask the direct question in regards of the criminal trial that's about to start, which is like, do you think this was all Sam's doing or is it a more complicated situation than that? Yeah, I mean, personally, I think that um, it wasn't only Sam's doing. Um, certainly, Sam. Um, Daddy. Uh, <laughs> certainly, Sam. <laughs> yeah, we can pause for a second. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah, oh, thanks. Uh, so, um, I, I think um, Sam um, certainly was the orchestrate, or the, the head figure. He mm -hmm. set it up. Um, I think the the lawsuits which have been filed, um, I believe, shows that people like his parents, for sure, K Five, 
a lot of other players, actors knew about the fraud, but they thought they could also financially benefit from right. it. So they kind of, um, you know, jumped on the bandwagon, or 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 parents could have pushed for it more. Uh, I mean, but certainly, I I believe, and I've always believed um, from the outset, this magnitude of fraud, you can't you can't do it alone. And I think yeah. that the criminal trial will result in more information coming out to the public and generally more um, charges will be brought. Yeah. Um, and I remember that, like, clearly, like, I, I remember even when people were saying, oh, Sam's one, initially Sam's never going to go be arrested. Oh, no one's going to, no one else was involved. Right. Carol, Caroline didn't know. And, you know, um, Nisha didn't know. And Ryan Salami, I, I remember... In, uh, former FTX employees and all these guys saying, "Oh, Ryan Salami did didn't know," and all these influencers would uh, would kind of pressure me and try to tell me that they didn't know. And then you see, so I th- I think that um, personally, I believe the opposite that more people knew than um, and more c- charges will be dr- will drop. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's a good chance the parents get charged with something at this point because yes. that stuff looks really ugly. Um, and then the last executive, at least to my knowledge, who has not really been brought in in any way is Sam Trabuco. Um, is that is that correct to yeah. your knowledge? At he's this a, point? Yeah, Sam Trabuco. Yeah, so he's somehow disappeared from from the scene. Um, and obviously, there, there's quite a few executives who kind of left i um i mean obviously there's maybe less there prominent Harrison people who, whose names we don't yeah, know less prominent yeah exactly less prominent there was, like obviously brett i mean brett harrison, harrison I mean, was I don't us know. though he's maintained yes, that we, separate okay men's sense maintained that stance and then no constant wang who who joined sino global yes. afterwards did you yeah okay, okay. so I, I think there's a few other parties i mean i don't know their involvement but you know there's quite a few guys who who were not only management, but I think also people who directly profited it from it. Mm-hmm. So obviously, five K yeah. Global. It was clear from the lawsuit that they got kickbacks of um, two hundred fifty million dollars in order to help facilitate the money laundering of seven hundred million dollars. Right. So that was that was a lawsuit yeah. we dropped. Yeah. So I, I think a lot of um, groups who facilitated the money laundering, and and you know got kickbacks or knew about it, you know, you know, I mean, hopefully they get charged. I mean, I don't know, but, you know. Maximum time span. Let's say we're talking five or even 10 years now. I mean, how much of your money do you think you're going to get back? Yeah, so so I think it's, it's tough because I think looking, I've looked at history and it, what's interesting is that, um, yeah, bankruptcy, obviously, are we as we discussed in quite detail, this bankruptcy for me is extremely expensive relative to history. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's... Oh, it's you're running, talking about the yeah. um, the the receiver's costs of... Yeah, exactly. And that, obviously that... Yeah, so that's going to eat into the recovery process, for obviously, for, for mm-hmm. how much the estate gives back. However, what's good is that when you look at even the Enron case, I believe over 50% of the recovery came from class action lawsuits, not even mm-hmm. the bankruptcy estate. Mm. Um, I think the biggest one was uh, the $7.2 billion one by Robbins and Geller 
and then there was another three four million four billion dollars won against others so i think what that will that's why it was important for me to file class action lawsuits to help with the recovery process yeah yeah um, um so having had this misadventure um are you taking a break from investing in crypto or do you think you're going to continue to be involved um no i mean i i would like to be but i i i have taken a break at the, personally at the moment um mm-hmm. because um or yeah I've, I've personally taken a break um and step away um i i don't feel say um believe many of exchange many of the exchanges are mm-hmm. safe or however i mean i could invest and keep it offline but i just personally have taken a break um but i do i do feel there's uh, the asset class itself um is has has uses i mean um mm-hmm. like i said my philosophy it hasn't changed my philosophy for the online premise of bitcoin or obviously I, i'm not the type who loves these these what's it called shit coins that's it yeah <laughs> i know i'm getting used to the terminology it was like altcoins yeah i'm not i don't i'm not into these meme coins and stuff but i think the underlying premise for me for bitcoin and you know um making the in um, um the real um, world or like smart contracts things more efficient um you know there's a use use and utility to it yeah yeah I, that's awesome to hear that you're still not i guess that you're you based your decisions on fundamentals um i guess one last question because you i mean you are a financially savvy person and you have a thesis behind this investment um but also like ftx really targeted or you know intentionally or not um the breadth that they went with really targeted a bunch of people who maybe were not as sophisticated as you are in their thinking about these things um, so, you know, maybe maybe my question is, you know, you've taken a break ad- sort of advisedly and, and for, um, you know, with some reflection, but you've maintained your basic position. Do you feel like there are other people who were, were hurt by FTX who, you know, don't see the distinction between FTX and crypto and are going to have their, you know, behavior shaped for years to come by this one incident? Yes, hundred percent, and I, I think, and that I, I also feel that um, the media, or, or actually a recent documentary which came out, which uh, which I wasn't involved in, and that's why I've I've taken a stance of being involved in documentaries portraying the the true um, true version of events. Um, mm. Some try to portray the FTX collapse a crypto. Um, in this, but it, it collapsed because of the crypto itself, right. rather than the bad actors involved. And I, I think this is a very important distinction, which um, it can be manipulated by um, bad. But they, they themselves are bad actors because they don't want to tell the truth, right? So they they're saying, um, you know, it, it it collapsed because of crypto prices going down. No, it didn't right, collapse right. because. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you may, it's, there's no bank run there's no it's, it's not a bank run it's an exchange right it's not a bank right. you know it, it, it is it, it's a custody you know they shouldn't be using so i i think these terminology which is used by um jur- some other journalists and um 
and they will they're trying to shape the narrative that it's it's as a result of crypto prices being unstable or volatile but it's nothing to do with that yeah yeah well, uh, Sunil Kavuri, thanks for thanks for talking to me today, being my first guest on my yeah. new um, podcast as I enter the era of no longer having a job. Um, oh. <laughs> sorry for my oh, cat, my, by the way. Yeah. Steve is really oh yeah, here. sweetie. Um, oh my god, wow, wow. Yeah, wow, he really nice. demands He's attention. Gorgeous. So thank you for being here. Do you oh. have any last just comments about um, you know things you're keeping an eye on, or just things you would like to share with the audience, or anything like that? Or anything you no, would like no, to just, promote just, or endorse or whatever. No, 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 not at all. I, I would like to promote um, David Morris. Is that, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a, no. Honestly, I, I, I would say um, I remember someone when you when you left CoinDesk and someone I saw a tweet. Um, I think you retweeted it and they said something like, "Oh, if I saw a good crypto um, article, fifty uh, percent chance is going to be." Um, David Morris and for me I would say 100% chance it's David Morris and I saw that's true literally clip to promote myself yeah. <laughs> yeah it's actually 100% it's, it's well, true though for me it's um yeah true so I, I very uh, much no no thank you I, and it's been no, it's been I, very I, nice the, the French benefit of getting fired is that people feel compelled to say nice things about you <laughs> but we <laughs> But with you, I, I think it's, um, it, yeah, wow. it's true because I mean, 100%. Oh. Right, we're back for the second time uh, with Sunil Kavari, who I talked to back in September, and now we're kind of revisiting after the FTX trial. Uh, Sunil, thanks for coming on the show. Um, I, uh, I I really uh, appreciate all of the time and patience you've you've given me as I work on getting this in order. How are you? Yeah, no, awesome. Yeah, we um, I'm really good. Yeah. So. Uh, you know, I have to ask you, as as an FTX victim, what are your thoughts? It's now been almost a month since the end of the trial. What did you think about the trial as it was happening, and, and what are you what are you thinking about it now? How how did you feel as somebody who was directly impacted by you know the the way the case was put and and what we learned during the course of the trial? Yeah, it's incredible. Uh, I guess how quickly it was wrapped up but we can go into more details but mm -hmm. uh, quite astounding um i think within a month the uh, the verdict came came about um and um having been so involved in the ftx incident obviously losing the money obviously i knew it was a fraud um from the terms of service it was mm. clear however having spoke um um when i uh, spoke to people who weren't familiar with the case um, there was always a doubt um, in people's minds. They would always say, oh, you know, are you sure it's a fraud? Didn't he commit mistakes? Isn't it? Wasn't FTX too good to be true? You lost money on the crypto mm. going up and down. So I'm happy how it turned out. Um, and it was, um, yeah, I mean, he, he was convicted. So yeah, it was very fast. It was, I think, exactly a month. Yeah. And I don't know if you probably noticed this at the time, but the verdict was actually handed down on November 2nd, which I think was the exact one year anniversary of the Coindesk story that 
first broke the balance sheet. Yeah, exactly. Which, <laughs> happy, happy coincidence. So how closely were you following the reporting on the on the trial? Yeah, I, I followed it quite um, closely every day. I know you obviously attended in person, um, but mm-hmm. I was um, keeping up to date on Twitter and the live feeds from various different reporters. I think that the prosecution did a very good job initially of particularly directing um, um, the, um, the questions towards the terms of service. Um, I think mm-hmm. particularly, I, I think that's the key crux to it. Um, the terms of service whereby the customer deposits were used to pay off Alameda lenders. I think that was the, um, I believe it was Adam Yadida and Caroline Ellison mm-hmm. and uh, um, the other witness initially confirmed that customer deposits. Gary Wang, perhaps. That's it, Gary Wang. Yes, correct. Um, yeah. their customer deposits were redirected to to pay off Alameda lenders. So I yeah. believe the essay... And that was a big moment for me too, because like Gary was not the first witness, but I think the second or third witness. And he like immediately said that effectively they were using customer funds as early as 2019, which I feel like that was, at least for me, that was new information and, and fairly shocking. Yeah, really shocking. It's, it's incredible. And then... Um, I believe they showed the exhibit, which displayed the fact that, you know, um, yes, yeah, since 2019, that um, um, the customer deposits was always less than, um, I mean, how much um, reserves in the FD exchange, mm-hmm. less than the customer deposits, which was, which showed a big discrepancy. And so we were unaware. I mean, everyone was unaware mm-hmm. that, that there was such a big disparity. So, so at any point of the, these two years or three years, the FTX could have gone bankrupt if people withdrew all their money because an exchange should yeah. be at one for one. Customer deposits should not be used at all. Right. Yeah, that was a big moment. And I have to ask you, at any point, were you were you anxious that he would be found not guilty? Um, personally, no, to be honest. I know there was another, a few... Um, um, I wouldn't say anxious regarding that, no, but I'm I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised how quick and easy the the prosecution's mm-hmm. job was. Particularly, um, actually, probably made easier by the fact that SBF is a bumbling fool. He's he he actually <laughs> got, got half the things he he would uh, say. Oh, you know exactly how how he spoke to interview. Um, interviewers, um, mm-hmm. his, um, you know, you know, loads of interviews he gave. I believe he had a, his own self of worth. He believed he was untouchable, maybe because he he didn't seem particularly prepared. And even at some point, Judge Kaplan was irritated mm-hmm. and snapped at him. So, can you just answer the question? I believe he was. He just infuriated everyone because he would. Yeah, you know, it's. Um, so I always believe because yeah he was just cutting splitting hairs and doing his like rationalist effective altruism thing like <laughs> questioning every word and yeah. um I mean it was very interesting because you know he like you said he really thought that he was going to win and he really thought specifically that he was going to win by um you know I, it's an antiquated term but he was he was being a chop logic you know he was sort of fiddling around the edges with like the the details of 
uh, of things that weren't actually the core of the question. Yeah. And he just constantly was, he thought that was going to help him. And he forgot that, you know, there were real human beings in the jury there yeah, exactly. looking at it and judging it. You could see through his, his total nonsense and, and he thought, yeah. yeah. So it's, um, yeah, no, I think, um, but I'm, I think that what was also what I was looking for, which was quite interesting, um, the liability of other participants in the trial. Obviously, I guess the prosecutor's job is in the end to get a prosecution of um, conviction of SBF. So um, but mm -hmm. I'm interested to see the other witnesses that were called up. Um, I know um, mm -hmm. everyone tried to lay the blame on being deceived by SBF, but um, certainly I personally believe there's no way SBF could have conducted such a major fraud without the help and um you know you know facilitation of other mm -hmm. uh, participants well so let's get specific here i mean we saw we saw gary carolyn and nishad who had already pled guilty but it sounds like maybe you're talking about more than just that yeah so definitely yeah um that ryan um obviously uh, ryan salami as well completely guilty but then obviously we've talked quite extensively together about the the um the the liability of SBS parents I think certainly their right. um, their involvement from the beginning from the outset is quite um, extensive um so you know it would be only fair for them to be um tried but I don't know what if that's gonna happen um I think yeah. potentially not I mean um. I don't know criminally, but for certainly civilly, um, the liability or the failed, um, there's the VCs who failed on their fiduciary right to their investors as mm -hmm. fiduciary to right to the um, obligation to the state, all stakeholders. On the VC front, um, I mean, I, maybe this sounds like a silly question, but but there is a fiduciary duty there, yes? Exactly. So there's a certainly a fiduciary duty um to their own investors as well as general stakeholders i mean they have a fiduciary mm. duty i know sequoia said oh it was kind of like i and i i understood from the trial that it wasn't the prosecutor's job to go into it too much so they wanted to put, lay the blame on sbf and say okay you know sbf deceived us he sent us the wrong balance sheet but i mean which which um intelligent professional just says, oh, just takes that thing right. value, whatever they send, send them, right? You know, I, I can say, oh, I'm going to make $2 billion. Okay, so you're going to give me $2 billion, you know? It's a, it, it's no You know, I, but I think that the, yeah. the, the, the grim realization, and of course, you know, this is the, not the first time I've run into this in, in you know, startup world, but yeah. I think the reality is that that is what the professionals do. That's all they do is yeah. they just, okay, this is the the thing that you wrote down on paper. So that's true to us. Yeah. Um, and, and I, I mean, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think, I think very, very, very good point. Maybe good point. And I, I also, what's interesting is, um, actually I, I believe that Kraken, what's, um, what's his name? Jesse Powell said afterwards that he, he thought that, um, there's liability from a lot of other stakeholders because, they couldn't figure out how he was spending so much money or making such a big profit. And for me, mm. it makes sense if I don't have a, you know, if I had the financials and I knew that they made $300, 400000000 million profit, which if everyone knew, then 
you know, you can't be- And spent 2 billion. Yeah, exactly, they spent 2 billion, then, you know, I, you know, yeah. you just can't. So it, uh, I think that um, there may, I'm not sure what the prosecution are gonna do, if they're gonna, you know, try SBS parents, but um, I think civilly, personally, I believe mm -hmm. um, in our class actions, it, it, it would have um, done us our, our case a favor because of such a strong conviction of SPF, quite clearly that it was a fraud. The, the fact that um, they, the, he, he's been convicted of the fraud quite, you know, you know with beyond reasonable doubt so quickly. Um, mm -hmm. I think that, yeah, yeah. It, 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 yeah. So let's, let's talk about the cases. And, you know, you mentioned VC, so refresh my memory here. You initially, you were the, I don't know if it's a lead plaintiff or what the term is for a class action suit targeting promoters and influencers. And then I believe a VC related suit got folded into that. Is that correct? Yes, exactly. So what happened was that um, initially, uh, yeah, I was the first international yeah, plaintiff and the lead plaintiff to file against the influencers, the promoters of FTX. So that comprised of, you know, the sports stars, Kevin O'Leary, Tom Brady, Giselle. Um, and that was kind of specific to do with promotion of an unregistered security. And you have certain obligations when you undertake that, um, mm -hmm. to do that for promoters. Um, and then um, several other class actions we filed. Um, there's several other class actions have been filed and they've all come under are my lawyers, which is David Boyce and David. Uh, oh, so it's more than one, more than two now. Yeah, no, more than two. So there's seven different cl um, class of defendants. So there's the promoters, there's the domestic VCs, which comprise of um, Sequoia, Paradigm, uh, Bravo, um, Skybridge, um, Tiger, Multipoint. Mm. And then there's the multinational VCs, which are Sina Global, Temasek, and um, SoftBank. Then there's the another type is the accountants. So that's the fourth one, which is um, I would say Praga and Metis uh, and Armanio, mm. and the banks, which are Deltic, Moonstone. Then there's the insiders, which you know I think they're just there. Um, mm -hmm. We're not. I'm not sure how much we're going to get from them, but SPF. Gabby Wang, they get convicted anyway. And then the law firm. And this would all be worked out in one civil proceeding? Um, I think that each one um, will, we have a, it will be um, not not one civil proceeding, but they're, they're, they're gradually, mm, it's like okay. one judge anyway, and different lawyers mm. are, you know, um, but it's, it's pretty much similar, um, similar lawsuits. The, 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 um, the, the, um, which the the complaint is pretty similar for each one, just just the different mm -hmm. defendants, yeah, yeah. And and what is um and one of the reasons that I wanted to have this conversation again after after a month and a half was um you know what is the what is the timeline on those looking like right now? Right, yeah. So so I think that um a few um is particularly the influencers and promoters they've started to settle. On our on our cases, which is good news. Um, I believe that's mm. be, oh wow, yeah, okay, yeah, that's really good. It's the first ones, and I think they're probably the first ones. And I always suspected they're the ones who's going to settle first because 
you know, they're unlikely. It's quite a clear cut about their obligations of of promoting unregistered security, and you have um, right. if you don't disclose the nature, scope, and um, amount of compensation you're receiving. Right. Um, I think potentially the others might be more drawn out, the VCs, because it's it's a bit of a you know. It's more complicated. Complicated, exactly. So. I, I have to ask. I have to ask a specific question. Um, has Has Kevin O'Leary been involved in any of the discussions about settling? Um, no, um, I mean, I think there's back and forth, but so far, not. Um, I don't. I mean, he hasn't settled yet. There's a lot of back and forth between our lawyers and our the promoters, but mm-hmm. he's not one of the ones who have settled yet. Yeah. But, yeah. I just asked because he's <laughs> particular interest to me. I guess. It's just crazy. I mean, he's what was it? He got paid like something nuts. Like was it um what eight? Uh, fifteen. Well, he got paid fifteen million, but of course, it was just fifteen million in a balance on FTX, yeah. which is the best part of yeah. all of this. Um, and for, like, was it for? <laughs> so so he didn't actually get paid, but he still is liable. Yeah, still still liable. Yeah, and also what for twenty tweets or some something nonsense. I don't know what it was. Like yeah. it wasn't like Tom Brady as well. It was like fifty five million dollars, obviously as well. Some some for three days. Yeah, for three days. Some of these things have come out, which is yeah, just inc- insane numbers. Yeah, insane. Yeah. Yeah. Again, you know, it's it's one of those things where it's hard to put your finger on it. And frankly, you know, m- most of us missed it at the time. But in retrospect, it's just the, the numbers. The numbers are crazy. Exactly. So yeah. um, um, so on a related note, um, has there been any significant update on the the actual bankruptcy recovery process and, and sort of where are you now in terms of your feelings and expectations on on that end because you lost quite a lot of money exactly yeah i think i think initially um particularly i yeah i was concerned um with the time it would take to recover the assets and return the funds to us um Mm. the the process is now in november one year on from the bankruptcy things are looking um slightly better in a sense there's some movement in terms of the sale um of FTX exchange. Um, uh-huh. I believe that's one of the major assets which should they, uh, you know, they they should at least entertain bids from buyers which mm-hmm. um, add value to the creditors. And they've started this auction pro- this not the auction process, but they started the bidding process. Um, mm-hmm. I believe they've narrowed it down to three major bidders, um, and. There'll be an auction next month, which is in December, and I uh, I believe that may last for two two weeks to a month or so. So a final week, mm-hmm. you know, January. At the same time, the the bankruptcy have started. The estate has been selling did liquid digital assets. So it looks like they're looking to return assets to um, creditors at least early next year. I hope within you know that mm. time scale um and then obviously on the i believe they have about eight billion dollars of as eight or seven billion dollars of liquid assets um but another mm. thing which has been quite positive is the value of anthropic the stake um so since we lost right. oak um that that was a major investment by ftx um I believe um, $500 million was, and that was referred to in the trial as well. That was 
customer deposits were used to buy a right. in Anthropic. Um, obviously, out of 500 deals, one of them had to do well, right? So I have 500. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you I don't know if you saw this part of the trial, but the the defense actually tried to introduce Anthropic in evidence as some kind of defense, and the judge refused. Yeah. Did not let them talk about Anthropic for exactly the reason. It's like the judge. I'm not going to do an exact quote, but the judge said something to the effect of. If I rob the Federal Reserve, then go win the lottery and return all the money, that doesn't mean I didn't rob it in the first place, um, which I thought was, you know, spot on. And it, it was one of the interesting things about being in the trial is that there was a lot more just sort of plain common sense yeah. involved than I would have guessed. I would have thought it would have been, you know, it was my first time seeing a trial in person. And I sort of thought it would be much more procedural, much more like, let's cite this law and this piece of precedent. And, you know, even in a trial that's public, there was stuff that had gone on behind the scenes that we hadn't seen, yeah. but it was really refreshing to frankly yeah. see this judge be like, no, just that's a ridiculous argument and I'm not going to have it in my courtroom yeah. and I don't have to cite anything. I'm just going to use this metaphor to describe why it's ridiculous. Yeah. And then you're just, you're done. Wow. Um, so anyway, that was, uh, that was a, an interesting instance in the trial for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've always believed, um, lawyers, I, I, um, I, I believe lawyers tend to focus on procedure and citing law and judges usually are very, uh, yeah, use common sense, are very clued in with the laws anyway. Yeah. Just decide. And that, that's mm -hmm. what I found from my experience. I've had some experience on other settlements. And, yeah. and I found out that, that, yeah, you know, there's a lot of back and forth between lawyers. But in the it, end, it's good to be the judge. Yeah, yeah, it's a great judge. So, yeah, yeah. Um, so on the recovery, one other question, which um, I, I assume you're clued into the nuances here, which is, um, is all of the effort of the recovery aimed at getting people back a certain, let's say, U.S. dollar value, or are specific assets going to go back to their owners in any way? Right. Yeah. So, so I, I I've, again, I've been quite involved in this process actually because um, the 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 new nuance and the the issue of giving back the petition date value is that the title and I I believe mm -hmm. something which is important um and referred to in the in the trial itself spf trial as well and the reason why spf was conducted mm -hmm. so um quickly anonymously and beyond reasonable doubt on seven counts is that the terms of service are quite clear in the terms of service and i know mm -hmm. uh, you you were there but i believe the the prosecution referred to the terms of service and it's uh, specifically i'd say section eight and it said that you know the customer deposits can is not um, property of FTX estate. Mm. It's all the title remains with the customer. It can't be lent out, borrowed, blah. And I, I think it's quite unambiguous. So if mm -hmm. that's the case, then you can't um, in a you, you, the title the, uh, the customer uh, the digital assets aren't the property of FTX. So so you can't just give a dollar value at petition day. You have to give back the Mm. value of the digital assets so and obviously um this is important because um, a lot of digital assets have gone up significantly since the bankruptcy yeah so, so you're saying you have to give back the value at the date of the return yes exactly exactly and that's that's something which i've been arguing and i 
I uh, mm. uh, the, uh, with a few other creditors, and I, I think it's quite a large block now. Um, we sent our letter um, mm. pub, uh, publicly and to the UCC, and um, with a block of over five hundred million um, claims at petition day, which is probably obviously worth much more now, and that's a significant block, voting block. Mm. Who wants to see the value of the the crypto? You know, wants their either the digital assets returned, and obviously that might not be plausible, but at least the value at distribution that would be a compromise. Yeah. Um, and I think it's which has become significantly more challenging over the last four months and three months specifically. I mean, we've had a real market recovery, which exactly. has to be exceptionally frustrating to watch. Yes, exactly. That's the thing, and people, you know. Um, no one, um, people who held um, crypto at that point, and I did as well, wouldn't be particularly happy with petition date value. I mean, mm. obviously happy, yeah, better. You know, I'm just so happy getting the money back, but I mean, a lot of people are extremely frustrated. And I think, I think the key is not the money, but what I mean to some extent. But I'm, just, I think that to me, it's very important, um, even going forward in terms of. Um, the the security which users feel um, having crypto on an exchange and the title and the law itself. So if the mm -hmm. terms of service isn't adhered to and they say, oh, the petition date value is given, then no, never will anyone be comfortable with the terms of service because then effectively mm -hmm. you know, people can commit for, take it away, and then you just get... So I, I think, to be honest, I think go, it really goes beyond the FTX case itself. I think um, mm -hmm. it's, it's quite important going forward because it's the organization mm -hmm. of crypto assets being the prop, a property, an intangible property and property of the user. Yeah. So I, I think it's relatively important, actually. You mentioned it's a voting block. So is this a decision that is made within the creditor group? Yes, exactly. So we felt, um, a number of us felt that uh, um, this this idea of the value um, of our digital assets, um, you know, um, it, taking the petition value, it would not be fair and particularly according to the terms of service. So uh, we, I gathered, um, we gathered quite a few voters, um, at least over 500 voters signed the, letter and $500 million, mm. over $500 million worth of claims um, who want to see this included in the plan. So the next steps would be a mm. plan um, of how to value the crypto assets. Um, and they, they mm -hmm. are um, assets. They know how much our holdings are. Otherwise, I'm sure there's, it's going to be someone's going to, someone certainly in the block will, will you know, mm -hmm. will be, litigating and i, th I think that mm. might um you know but there are some real challenges in there right i mean if i remember correctly there was almost no bitcoin for example yeah. that was actually in in custody at the time of the collapse so there are some really huge gaps yes exactly there's no bitcoin i think liabilities was 1.3 billion um bitcoin um and I can't remember the other... 1.3 billion Bitcoin or 1.3 billion in Bitcoin? No, 1.3 billion worth of Bitcoin. Yes, it is. Right. Yeah, 1.3 billion worth of Bitcoin. Or 1.3 billion dollars worth of Bitcoin. So um, there was a right. gap because there's no Bitcoin there. And then they found maybe $200 million in Alameda. But 
I think there's a huge gap and a disparity between the liabilities and the claims. But I think what's important is um, there's a lot of assets, particularly Anthropic, FTX Exchange. Those are, to me, the mm-hmm. two biggest assets. Obviously, there's a lot of clawbacks from mm-hmm. of lawsuits have gone out to, you know, I think um, like a billion, even a bit $800 million to Bybit or $900 million to Bybit. I think the class of hmm. lawsuits, the clawbacks from the debtors have been in excess. It's like $1.6 billion or so of lawsuits. So there's mm-hmm. assets out there. Um, and it would be a, a significant injustice if at least they don't try to value, even if you don't get there, at least they can attempt to value assets at distribution or the value of the assets now. Um, I think that people mm-hmm. would far prefer a haircut to the value of assets at distribution than right. 100% at partition. And then the rest of the money goes to like, you know, extra two, three billion dollars goes to lawyers or Alameda lenders or people right. who actually had a fiduciary obligation to make sure everything <laughs> come afford. Or... Is, is there a formal stack on which, I mean, I assume that depositors at least should be on the top of the yeah. debtor stack, right? I mean, that's the thing. I mean, you would assume that, but they keep on, they want to avoid the, they keep on saying that we're unsecured creditors and they've 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 have said that we are at the top which is not yeah that's not that's not that shouldn't be the terminology right you're not even really a creditor oh, exactly a creditor that's the point so so they've you're just a victim yeah, of a theft exactly, and the money was stolen right I mean, we're never we're not a creditor so it's really yeah far. so they've really tried to um which i understand why the debtors have done that because Obviously, it gives them flexibility to spend money. The lawyers obviously use the assets and you know on bankruptcy fees and lawyer fees, and they could mm-hmm. because they did not want to you know uh, face the fact that if the assets were ours, then you know literally they would have to wind up the bankruptcy as soon as possible and make sure the customers get the highest priority, right? So, so I think right. um, it, there's a lot of you know conflicting interests involved, mm. unfortunately. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So one last question before um, I think we can wrap this up. Um, so you mentioned the auction of FTX itself. Um, I mean, as, as a former user um, and as somebody who's been through this, I mean, what do you think, whether we're talking about the brand or the technology, um, I mean, what do you think are the prospects for some kind of, and I mean, I guess at this point you're talking your own book because you want to get a good recovery on that asset. Um, but what is, what do you think is the, um, what do you, what do you think people would want, would get out of an FTX um, sale? Like why would somebody want to buy FTX at this point? Right. Yeah. I, I think the key, I mean, the key for me has always been the actual users. So you have 1.4 million creditors and you obviously have significant people who trade a lot and have a lot of assets. So so I, what, what I would do if I buy FTX, I would want, one is that I would want the money distributed from the FTX recovery to be distributed through the FTX mm. exchange. And then 
the, uh, then the users themselves are tied to the exchange and they maybe through an equity position and they trade on the FTX exchange because without the fraud itself, mm. exchange making three, $400 million a year is, is a very attractive business. So that would what I would want um, if I was a buyer. of. So sorry, you're envisioning kind of like a user ownership? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that what I personally believe would be an attractive outcome for both the buyer and mm. the seller. Because you don't want to buy FTX. The point is you don't want to buy FTX and then all the users don't stay on FTX, right? Because then, right. you know, what are you buying then? I mean, maybe, okay, 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 fine. You're buying the IP or you're buying them. But I mean, that kind of stuff you can, you know, I mean, I know the user interface. Yeah, I mean, the the the, the code is one thing, but the brand has negative value yes, at this point. And so exactly. like, you, would, you wouldn't want that. Well, and, but, and the thing I like, the thing I like about that proposal is that it actually, it, it, it makes the brand valuable again too, I think. If the story becomes like, FTX victims are now the owner of the platform and we're doing it right. Yes, exactly. Something like that. Exactly. I think that is a great idea. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it turns the whole story around that, yeah, actually, yeah. victims, yeah, we're doing it right and there's a turnaround story. And now everyone's heard of FTX and we're doing it right. The proof of reserves are there, liabilities are there, then people are going to come. So I, th I think this is a, that that's how I would envision or like, I think a potential success. Yeah or FTX exchange. Are there particular resources for people who want to follow the case, um, specifically the, um, you know, the, the, the civil litigation? How um, are, obviously you're, you're directly involved, but if people want to keep track, what's the best way, do you think? Oh, right. Um, so the, um, I think that Twitter is quite useful to keep track on the FTX trial. I think you, um, David, you covered it quite extensively, SPF trial, and I, um, I post um, also particularly about the civil lawsuits um, right. um, on Twitter. So my Twitter handle is Sunil, it's S-U-N-I-L underscore trades, which is, yeah, um, T-R-A-D-E-S. Um, yeah, so that's my Twitter awesome. handle. Yeah.